It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Well, welcome back to this study in the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 4, which I'm so excited about. As we mentioned in the last study, you really need to understand chapters 1 through 3 before entering into chapter 4. And the reason for that is if you don't understand that all of the practicality of the Christian life, if you don't understand that the God's calling in our life all derives from our position in Christ Jesus. If, if you miss that, well, then you'll miss the emphasis of how to actually live out the Christian life, which is chapters 4 through 6. Now, in this particular study, I want to talk about Paul being a prisoner in the Lord. So let's just read the passage, and I want to just start expounding upon it. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, listen to what Paul says. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. I love Paul's emphasis. He says, Here I am, a prisoner of the Lord. Now, we know that Paul often identified himself as a slave or as a prisoner. He, he writes that way all throughout his letters, but specifically, if you look at Romans or Philippians or Titus or Philemon, at the very introduction of the letters, he calls himself often a bondservant or a slave of Christ Jesus. In other words, when Paul looked at himself and his identity, he says, I am a slave, a servant, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus. Now, we know that he saw himself as a believer. We, we know he saw himself as a son of God. And yet his primary identification is that of a slave or as a prisoner. Now, it's interesting when you look at that idea of a slave, a slave, the, the word is doulos, it was someone who was devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests. And really, it has the idea of one or a person that has no rights, no position, they don't have any opinions or suggestions. They just do what they are told. Now, in Paul's day, there are there were a countless amount of slaves. In fact, some scholars suggest that up to 50% of the Roman population was considered a slave. Now, slaves were probably a little different than what probably you and I would consider slavery, especially if you grew up in America. They were kind of the working class. And though there was ownership involved, a lot of times they had, they had some rights, they had some flexibility, but the emphasis is they always did what the master told them to do. So think about this. When Paul says that he is a slave of Christ Jesus, he was saying, hey, look, I don't make my schedule. I don't determine what I do. I live by the life of Christ. Now, he not only uses the slave language, he also uses the language of a prisoner. And a prisoner means someone who's bound or someone who's captive, often in chains, and usually they were someone in a cell or in house arrest. Now, we know that Paul was an actual prisoner to Rome. In fact, if you read Acts chapter 16, if you read the end of Acts, like chapters 23 through the end of the book, what you see is Paul is a literal prisoner. He's in chains. He's heading off to Rome as a captive to be sentenced. So we know that Paul is a literal prisoner of Rome. But that's actually not the emphasis here in our passage. Uh, let me give you a few passages, though, that just emphasize, again, this idea of chains or the fact that he was a literal prisoner. In Acts chapter 28, verse 20, Paul, talking to this group of Jews, says, For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, 
for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. And even earlier before in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul mentions this idea that he is a prisoner. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Again, we, we have no problem with the fact that Paul was a literal prisoner of the Lord. That because of him preaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, he was sentenced and in chains and was sent off to Rome. He spent time in a prison cell. He spent time in house arrest. But again, I don't think that's actually the emphasis of what Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. And the reason I would say that is because there is an intriguing word that Paul includes in this passage. And it's the word in, E-N. Paul says that he is a prisoner in the Lord. Now, the word in, E-N in Greek, is fascinating. It means in or by or with. That's how it's often translated. But get this, it denotes a fixed position and it implies the idea of rest. I love that idea. In fact, I love this really small preposition in the Greek. Paul says that he's not just of, a prisoner of the Lord, he says, I'm a prisoner in the Lord. So let me give you a few maybe contrasting words to show the emphasis of this. In the Greek, there's a word called ek, E-K. And the idea has this idea of from. So for example, I'm currently in this studio. And at some point, I'm going to leave this room and go away from this. I'm going to go out from this room. That's the word ek. So it's this idea of a movement, and it's a moving from one location to another. It's, it's a transitionary word going from this place over to this place. Now, there's another word, eis, E-I-S, in Greek, and that word has this idea of into. Again, it's a movement term where I was outside of this room and I came into the room. It's that idea. So again, movement is involved. But there's this word, E-N, in, in the Greek, that really denotes not movement, it denotes a fixed locale. It's this idea of resting. For example, right now I'm in this room and I'm not moving in this room, I'm not moving out from this room, I'm just merely remaining, resting in the room. That's really the idea. Think about what Paul is saying. He's saying that here I am, a prisoner in the Lord. That he's not just merely of, a, he's not just a prisoner of the Lord. He says it in other places. He says, hey, I'm in chains. I'm a prisoner of the Lord. That because of the gospel that I'm proclaiming, I'm, I'm his prisoner. But in this case, as he moves into the practicality of living the Christian life, Paul adds, again, this Greek word, this Greek preposition, E-N, and he says, I'm a prisoner in the Lord. I, I love the fact that the Legacy Standard Bible actually includes that idea. This is how the LSB translates Ephesians chapter four, verse one. It says, therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, exhort you to walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. So again, there's this idea of resting, this idea of remaining. It's a fixed position. There's no movement associated with it. There's just a, it's a position. It's a locale that Paul finds himself as a prisoner. Well, where is it? Yeah, he may be surrounded in a jail cell, but he is in the Lord. So again, get the emphasis. Yes, Paul is a prisoner for the Lord. Yes, he's in chains. In fact, while he's writing the book of Ephesians, he's in chains. But 
Paul's emphasis in our passage seems to be that he has a fixed position in Christ, that he is resting in that reality, and he's doing the very thing that he's been talking about in chapters 1 through 3. So as you go back to chapters 1 through 3, he's talking about the position, that the position of a believer is in Christ, that we are to remain in Christ. And as I mentioned in the last study, Paul uses the language in Christ, in him, in whom, over 30 times in the first three chapters. And that word in, in the first three chapters, is that word in, in. It's that fixed position. It's that resting reality. So think about what Paul's saying. He's saying, here I am, a prisoner in the Lord, that my fixed position is Jesus. Now, let me give you two ideas along with this concept. If Paul is saying that he is in, a prisoner in the Lord, well, number one, that means he is found in Jesus, which all goes to his identity. Jesus is Paul's identity. So think about this. Paul may be an actual prisoner of Rome, but his external circumstances do not define him. Jesus does because Jesus is his identity. Again, yes, he may be an actual prisoner. Yes, his circumstances may be crazy. We know he's facing his death. But regardless of the external circumstances, he says, that's actually not what defines me. What's going on around me does not define me. The circumstances of life is not going to be my identity. Jesus is my identity. Wouldn't it be amazing if you and I had that same thought process? See, so many of us look at our habits or our addictions or our problems, and we see those as our identity. For example, I'm an alcoholic. Now, I may not have had any alcohol for 10 years, but hey, because that has been my addiction, that is my identity. Hey, I'm a person who lusts. I'm a person who is jealous. I'm a person who just has whatever the issue may be. And we often see our identity by our problems. Isn't that intriguing how often we even do that in the scriptures? That when we, when we read these incredible stories of, of encounters with God, we often know the person by the struggle and the problem. For example, in Luke 15, there is a, this young man known as the prodigal son. But do you know that that's actually not his identity? See, that's who he was, not who he is. See, his identity is that he is a found son, that he's a recovered son. He's a restored son. He is a legitimate heir of the father, even though he was a prodigal. Uh, there's a woman that has the, the bleeding issue. And, and that's how we know her. We don't know her name. It's just that woman who had that bleeding issue. But that's actually not her identity. That's who she was before she met Jesus. Isn't it interesting how often we do the same thing in our lives? That we determine our identity by our addictions or our problems or our, our habits, our circumstances of life. Sometimes the circumstances around us define us. That we look at the culture and we, we look at what's happened in the world and we presume our identity based upon what is going on around us rather than the stability that never changes in Christ Jesus. What if our identity was found in Jesus? That just like Paul says, I'm a prisoner in him. Yeah, I'm a prisoner in other places. Yes, I'm actually in chains in Rome. But that actually doesn't define me. That is not the characteristic of my life. Rather, what defines my life is that I am in Christ Jesus. Do you have that identity? 
Or do you see yourself as someone who struggles or wrestles or, or is dealing with whatever it may be that, that, oh no, look at our culture. Oh no, look at our government. Oh no, whatever it may be. Could I encourage you to seek your identity, not in the things that so easily shift and change and transform, not in the habits and the problems, but rather in the one who wants to transform your life. He is a solid rock. He alone is the foundation from which we should be seeing ourselves. We are children of God. We are slaves of Christ because he is the Lord God. And if he is Lord and master, well, that means I am his servant. What if we had that identity just like Paul? What if Jesus was the identification, the mark upon our lives? Listen to a few of these verses. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. In other words, have that same lifestyle. In fact, in Philippians 2, 5, Paul says, have this attitude or mind. And really, that Greek word has this idea of orientation of living. Have this perspective in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So the same attitude, the same mind, the same perspective, the same thought process that Jesus had, you and I are called and commanded to have. In Philippians chapter 1, listen to what Paul says. He says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And then he says this, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Is your life marked by Jesus Christ? Is, is the reality of your existence, is your identity found in Jesus? Yeah, you may identify yourself in a variety of ways. You know, I'm a Christian, I'm a woman, I'm a man, whatever it may be in your life. But what if the primary ident identification was not some attribute, it wasn't the gender of, of who you are, it wasn't your profession, it wasn't the culture, it wasn't your habits, what if the identity of your life was Jesus himself? Wouldn't it be amazing if we were so tightly identified with Jesus that when people saw us, they actually saw him? I love what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul says this, Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. D did you get that? Paul says, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And get this, and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Paul says that you and I are a sweet fragrance, that to the world it may be a stench. But to fellow believers, it is a sweet aroma. Why? Because the very presence of God through his spirit lives inside of us. And that is emanating in and out of our lives. He is oozing out of every pore of our bodies. And that when people see and experience you, 
They should actually see and experience him because we are so full of him. See, if my identity is Jesus, that would change everything. Isn't it interesting that if I see myself as a recovering alcoholic, then when I see alcohol, there's this, because that's my identity, there's this weird inner wrestling within me that just says, oh, yeah, that's my struggle. And oh, I need alcohol. I know a lot of guys who are struggling with lust and pornography and and because that because that is their identity as someone who is who is wrestling with this issue in their life, yes, it's sin. But when you see that as your identity, then you're going to be more prone to the temptation. See, what if I wasn't a recovering alcoholic? What if I wasn't a recovering pornographer? <laughs> what if I wasn't a recovering jealousy person? What if my identity was in Jesus? And so, yes, I may have had an alcohol issue in the past, but now when alcohol presents itself, that's actually not my identity. I am in Christ and everything that affords me in his life is my reality, which means I don't have to be bound by that. I don't don't have to give into lust. I don't have to live in jealousy. I don't have to walk in pride because Christ himself has radically transformed my life and he is my identity. Yes, there may be some wrestlings. I get that. But what's interesting to me is that when my identity is Jesus, it actually begins to put all this stuff in its place. And I find I actually don't have as big of a problem as I thought I did because he is my life and he is transforming everything in my life to be conformed to his image. Which really brings us to the second idea. Paul says, I'm a prisoner in the Lord, which means not only is his identity found in Jesus, But there's this whole idea of being bound by Jesus. Again, Jesus becomes the boundary, or if I may use the language, the prison cell of Paul's life. So again, go back to the prisoner language. We know that, yes, Paul's an actual prisoner, but he's saying, I'm a prisoner in the Lord, that I am chained to Christ, that he, in essence, is my prison cell. Wouldn't it be interesting if Jesus was the boundary for my life? That when I looked at what can I do and what can I not do, it it wasn't just, well, here's my list of do's and don'ts. Rather, it was the word of God that determined the boundaries for my existence. That is actually his life, which determines what is proper, what's right, what is allowed, and what is not in my life. Again, this isn't a legalistic do's and don'ts. Rather, this gives tremendous freedom. Because do you know what the prison cell of Jesus looks like? himself, that the reality of the life of Christ is what is to be marked in my life. As Paul so brilliantly said in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. I've said this before, but that word conformed, I love this imagery. Uh, it's like when you used to play with Play-Doh when you were a little kid or, or last week, <laughs> you, t- you take this Play-Doh and you get one of those cool molds, you know, those plastic shaped things. And you take the Play-Doh and you shove it into the mold and whatever doesn't fit inside that mold, you just cut away because it doesn't, doesn't fit in the mold. That's what God is doing in our life. He is taking our life like potter's clay and he's shoving it into this Play-Doh mold that looks like Jesus. And whatever doesn't look like Jesus in your life is to be removed. So this isn't, again, a list of do's and don'ts. This is you have the freedom and the ability and the life of Christ 
So walk in that reality. So I love this thought. Though the prison cell or the life of Jesus may seem more confining than the world. In other words, it may actually seem rather restrictive of what you can and cannot do. The reality is that you will never experience freedom anywhere like being a prisoner in Christ Jesus. And that's rather the irony that it is only when I submit to being a prisoner in the Lord that I experience true freedom. I will never have true freedom outside of Christ Jesus. The enemy proposes that the world can give us lots of freedom. Hey, just go into the drugs and the alcohol and the sex and the whatever, and you, you can live however you want to, and you'll be free. But you're actually never free. You, you actually are wrapping a chain, a noose around your life even tighter. True freedom is only found in Christ Jesus. So though it may seem rather restrictive in the sense of like, you're telling me that, that my life is to have a boundary, that there's a prison cell that I have to live in called Jesus? Well, that seems rather restricting. No, that's where true freedom is found. So think about this. In that prison cell known as Jesus, sin is not allowed, but victory is. Addiction and bondage is not allowed, but freedom is. That in Christ, we are not to worry or fear, but rather we are to have peace and rest. That depression and despondency is not allowed, but rather we can walk with joy. See, it is only in Christ Jesus. It's when we live in his life that we experience true freedom, that we can live how God calls us to live. We can walk in freedom and triumph and hope and joy and peace, but it's only because it's found in him. So I do not need to look anywhere else outside of Jesus Christ to find my life. So get those two ideas. I, my identity is found in him and my life is bound or the boundaries of my life is found in him. Now take that whole idea and bring it into the context of this idea of calling in our passage. Paul is talking about the calling of God in your life. And Paul says, even before I even get to the calling aspect, he says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord, that my identity is Jesus, that he can do whatever he wants with me, that, that I am a servant of the Lord, that, that whatever he says goes. I am, I am all in on his life. That the boundaries of my existence, what I can think about, for example, if you look at Philippians 4, 8, think on these things, every aspect of the think on these things is Jesus. That the fruit that comes out of my life in Galatians chapter 5 is all about the life of Jesus. That my life is defined, marked, identified, bound by the life of Jesus. So think about this in terms of calling. If I'm going to know God's calling on my life, I really first need to understand my position. So here's a question. What if, before we even talk about God's calling in our lives, we, like Paul, saw ourselves in a proper position of humility, submission, and surrender to the one who has called us? See, I don't want us to start talking about the calling of God in our lives as if to say, okay, I've got a special calling, so I'm going to go out and do my calling, and whoa, 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 isn't God just... oh? Isn't he lucky to have me because I am called? See, that's the wrong perspective. Rather, we, like Paul, should say, I am a prisoner in the Lord. 
that he is my identity. He is my focus. He is the boundary of my life. So he has all the rights to do what he wants with this life. If God is going to call me in this life, well, whatever it is, I'll say yes. If, if he wants to put me on a stage and, and proclaim the good news to, to thousands, all right. If he wants me hidden away and just cleaning bathrooms and never known by anybody, okay. Because this is not about the calling as much as the one who has called us. So can I encourage you to have this position like Paul, who says, I'm a prisoner, not just for the Lord, but I'm a prisoner in the Lord. There's this really fascinating passage in the book of Jeremiah, and you probably know it well. But in Jeremiah chapter 18, Jeremiah is talking about this language of a potter. And listen to what he says. Jeremiah 18, verse 3 through 6. Jeremiah says, Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hands of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel, as it pleased the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. So God is speaking through Jeremiah, and he says, Cannot the potter do what he wants with his clay? If he wants to use it for something honorable or something dishonorable, is it not his choice? Is it not the right of the potter to do what he wants with the clay. In fact, Paul used that same language in Romans chapter 9. In Romans 9, verse 20 through 21, Paul says, On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, Why did you make me like this? Will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel of honorable use and another for common use? In other words, the calling that is put upon the vessel, this piece of clay, is it not the right of the potter, the maker, to determine how he wants to use you? Can I encourage us, as we come into this idea of God's calling in your life, which we're going to start looking at next week, as we look at in this next study, this idea of God's calling, can I encourage you, don't get wrapped up on, well, what's the calling? And, oh, am I called to a very special purpose? See, that's the wrong emphasis. You should have a position like Paul that says, Lord, use me how you want to. Lord, I am merely a piece of clay. Lord, I am merely in your hands. And so, Lord, whatever would bring you the most glory, I am all in. I am a prisoner in you. So you, O oh Lord, be my identity. You, O oh Lord, be the boundaries for my life. And Lord, whatever you say, I'm in. Have that disposition as we come into this idea of God's calling. Would you humble yourself, be in a position of surrender and submission to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? He knows far better than us what he wants to do with us. Yeah, I may have inklings. Yeah, I may have desires. But will I surrender those under the King of Kings? Well, as we dive into this idea of calling, I want us to even just lay that before the Lord. Don't get wrapped up in the calling as much as in the one who is calling us. So let's just end in prayer and just freshly consecrate ourselves to the Lord and say, Lord, I am yours. Do what you want with me. So pray with me. Lord, oh Lord, I pray like Paul that we would get wrapped up in Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would be found in you, that our identity is not in 
circumstances. It's not in situations. It's not in old habits or addictions or, or whatever it may be. Lord, may our identity be Jesus. That when the world looks upon us, that we are a diffuser of the fragrance of God. That when the world looks upon us, they, they just see and smell you just emanating out of our lives. Lord, would you begin to be the boundaries for our lives? That whatever is in you is, is good in our lives. That we can think on these things and there's it's not a limitation as much as it is a freedom to have the fullness of the life of Jesus. That we can walk in triumph. We can have purity. We can have freedom. We, we can have ultimate joy and peace. Not because it's something outside of you. It's because that's what is found in you. So Lord, I pray that you would just wrap us up in the reality of Christ. Would you mark our lives with the person and the presence of who you are? And Lord, as, as we come to this idea and as we begin to talk about your calling in our lives, Lord, let us not get wrapped up in the calling as much as we get wrapped up in you, the potter, who is the one who is calling who is shaping and molding us like a piece of clay. So Lord, I personally just want to freshly consecrate myself. Lord, I just want to lay myself before you and say, Lord, whatever it is that you want to do in and through my life, whether it's seen or whether it's hidden, Lord, I'm all in. But may you receive all the glory and all the renown. For as Paul said in Romans eleven thirty six, for from you and through you and to you are all things. To you be the glory. So, Lord, will you be preeminent in our lives? Would you have first place in our lives? Will you just allow us to be consumed and obsessed with Jesus? Oh, what an amazing reality. May we, like Paul, be prisoners in you. We love you, Jesus. Just give you all the praise and the glory. In your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen. See you next time. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.